Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. OuterLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. What if I told you in the near future you're going to be able to project your etheric energy, your soul, onto one or more bodies, be in there for five, ten minutes, a couple hours, a couple days, pick up an experience, and come back to your original body and continue on your evolution? Does that sound pretty awesome? I think that's pretty fascinating. That's actually the premise of an iconic TV show you may have heard of, called Quantum Leap. And would you believe on the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show tonight that we have the co-executive producer and head writer of Quantum Leap on our very program tonight, four-time Emmy nominee, an actress, and an author of a new book series. This individual is fascinating. She's deep. She's metaphysical. And we're honored to have her. Let us begin tonight's program. Our special guest today, on the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show is the executive producer and head writer of a TV series you may have heard about called Quantum Leap, one of the most iconic TV series in American history. Her name is Deborah M. Pratt. She's also author of a phenomenal new book series called Vision Quest, which is now on its fifth book. You can learn more about Ms. Pratt by going to her website at Deborah, D-E-B-O-R-A-H-M, Pratt.com. Ms. Pratt, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, too. You can go to the Vision Quest, thevisionquest.com, too, which is all the fun stuff, and people put art up, and we're getting there. Thank you. I we're imagining a future. You know, before we even started the show, you, you paid a, said you listened to our program, and I kind of, I just kind of fried my circuits. I was so honored. I mean... I love, love Quantum Leap. It was a show that I think uh, it got me thinking. I got a lot of other people asking questions about the nature of our reality. How did you come up with the concept for that show? Oh, yes. I absolutely want to say I really enjoy listening to your show, the spirituality, the consciousness. All that is so much a part of what I'm writing in the Vision Quest. So you get it. You, you're you woke, as they say. A hundred percent. Thank you. Um, I, I was talking with Don Belisario, and um, and I had been reading uh, Stephen Hawking, A Short History of Time. And I got to the part where quarks can instantaneously change uh, place in time and space. And I thought, wow, you could be in one place and then instantaneously be in another place. And then we had been talking about time travel as a series, and he had wanted to do an anthology, and I had said the only way to do an anthology is to go back to the classics like um, like The Outer Limits 
and um, and the Twilight Zone and have a central character that people can tune back into. And we could do that if instead of, you know, uh, somebody just jumping around in time, and, and that's the other thing that Einstein said, time and space is limited. So you can't just jump into another time because it's filled, but you could knock somebody out of where they are. And then the idea that you project an energy of what you want people to see, who you are. And that energy lingers, which is why nobody except for little kids and dogs, I made that up, and animals, could perceive um, the truth of who you are. They see past that energy that you project on people. So once we got that and uh, went to Brandon Tartikoff to, to pitch it, and he was awesome. He was one of the last true great visionaries in Hollywood. He uh, had us come in a couple of times and said, okay, pitch it to me like I'm eight years old. Okay, now pitch it to me like I'm my grandmother. <laughs> and once we could share the concept with him as a child and him as a, an adult, it made it so universal. And that's how kind of it was born. And, I mean, the show, you've had some real memorable episodes. I love that you've been able to go through and retell certain uh, stories, especially talking about you know, going everything from JFK assassination to various points of history. Is there any uh, particular episode or series of episodes where you felt that your historical depiction of a particular event was more aligned to the truth than the way historians have foretold the event? Um, well, you're talking, I mean, we initially said we were not going to go and tell stories about known people um, and known events. We were going to make them every man's stories or every woman's stories. And, um, but I, I ended up, it was the anniversary of the L.A. Watts riots. And I became, you know, on this show, you became a true historian because you go back and you research the period and the music and what was happening in the movies at the time so that you can integrate them into the show. And I think that's what made the show so fascinating. We really put you in that time. And I remember as I started to uh, read about the L.A. Watts riots, I ended up picking up the phone and talking to a gentleman whose name escapes me at the moment very much like yourself. He was doing a radio show at the time. And he enlightened me about the fact that the L.A. Watts riot didn't just ignite. It was 40 years of no jobs, police brutality, a lot of things that haven't changed. And I wanted to tell that story. And Sam was such a great character because here was a non-black walking in the shoes of a young black man who was going to medical school. He was becoming a doctor. He wanted to give back to the community. And he was in an interracial relationship. So it was loaded on so many levels that it opened these incredible conversations within the the episodes. So from that point of view, I think it was that was probably one of the most enlightening uh, shows for me to work on, to write. That's really fascinating. The idea that Sam leaps from body to body, from life to life, 
saying that I guess you could push a person out. I was wondering, like this concept that all consciousness is one collective being, just different expressions or points of uh, attraction for it. When Sam was the, doing this leap, do you feel that the um, when he was going to these different bodies and different lifestyles, that he was actually taking on some of the personality qualities and traits that um, throughout the series that he was actually evolving as an individual and kind of learning and growing and becoming a, a much different person towards the end of the series? We did that intentionally in the sense that in the sense that he left and lost some of his memory. If you remember what it was called, he got Swiss cheese. So he had pieces of memory that were his and his life experience and pieces of memories that were whoever he left into. And it, that combination, so he had many of his skills that he didn't remember he had, like being a doctor, martial arts, um, but he also had skills of like driving a car. Now, and the pilot, I love the fact that he didn't get the one skill he needed when he was a, a test pilot uh, with the Air Force. But then that's what Al was there for. So it was, it was just a really, and it was a writer's dream. It was an actor's dream. It was a good show. And I think the audience that we had gathered and still have a lot of them because the show has gone on and I see young people all the time that say, oh, my God, I, I watched that show with my parents. And it was a show you could sit down and watch with your parents. I kind of miss that in television now. Can you see it coming back, uh, another version of it, another perspective, knowing that uh, maybe there are a whole uh, a bunch of other stories to tell, a different perspective to tell? Oh, there were so many more stories to tell. I mean, the problem was it was so far ahead of its time. There was just no other show to pair it with. We moved. In the five years we were on, we moved six times and blessed that audience. They followed us every time. There's so, a, absolutely. There's a quote that I love, and I, I have to say, I read this quote on a regular basis because it really reminds me of um, not only what I'm doing, but I think other people in media, uh, regardless if they're a TV, radio, print. And it's by uh, Marguerite Duras. And the quote is Journalism without a moral position is impossible. Every journalist is a moralist. It is absolutely unavoidable. When you were writing and creating the episodes, were there certain moral lessons and feelings that you wanted to convey, things that you wanted to teach? Did you have any particular episodes where you distinctly wanted to put to the audience's intention, whether consciously or subconsciously, a particular moral lesson or moral value? Yeah, I was probably the I was the culprit that did it uh, as, as much as I could on a weekly <laughs> basis, if I could. Um, the color of truth, the first time he left into a black man. Um, what price, price Gloria, the first time he left into a woman. That was a hysterically wonderful experience because I had to sit down with all of the male writers on the show and go, okay, so like what would be the big difference? When he goes to tell the guy at the end, I'm a man, that whole sequence came from the male writers just sitting down and talking to me about, you know, being a teenager and having an erection that wouldn't go down and you've got to walk with your books in front of you. <laughs> so that was like nothing I would ever have experienced in my lifetime, but it made the show so much 
a pleasure to go to. I mean, uh, Scott Bakula, Dean Stockwell. Um, very likable characters. Were very likable people. Yeah. And anytime I would walk down and go, okay, so I want to write a show where you're, you know, a trapeze artist. <laughs> Whatever it was that I would say, that Scott was just there for it, and he was so talented. We could tap his music talent. He could dance. He could act his butt off. He he was a, a blessing, as was uh, Dean. Dean was the consummate professional. Oh, that's good. It seems that like when you watch the show, it seems like they have really good chemistry and they're very likable and um, it really made things engaging. Because you were constantly taking these characters in places that no other characters had really gone before in television, the fact that you were taking them uh, different places, different characters, even in different timelines, do you think that because you were exploring so many different avenues of expressionism with the character that in a way it was... It, he was able to kind of lift people out of locked in thinking that they were able to kind of explore possibilities within themselves, within their own lives, to know that, you know, life just isn't a series, life just isn't a straight line. You can go and explore different aspects of your own consciousness differently. Oh, absolutely. I remember I wrote an episode um, called Nine and a Half Months, I think it was, and Sam was a young 16-year-old pregnant girl. And, of course, Scott had to wear this pregnancy belly just to get the feeling of what it was like to carry that weight, how to sit down in a chair, how to stand up. But the argument between the the storyline was that in the real history, she, uh, she had lost the child and never forgave her father. And Sam and Al were able to rally the father into, oh, no, I was. The child was born and given up for adoption, and she never had any other children. And Sam and Al were able to rally the father to stay a family and let this young girl keep this baby and raise it together. And the show aired. It got great numbers. Um, But months later, I got this amazing letter from a woman who said, I just wanted to write and thank you because I, that happened to me. That was my life. And um, I gave up my child and I never forgave my father. And until I heard the way that his argument to his daughter was about what he wanted for her life, I didn't understand him. And even though he's dead, I got to forgive him. And to me, that was the power of television, the fact that we could open someone's mind who had been closed for so many decades and say, but walk in somebody else's shoes, which was what the show was ultimately about anyway. And there's some people that um, I guess they they tend to discuss the, the finale of the show. From your perspective, was the finale something that you had envisioned from the very beginning? Was it something that was written um, because the show was was being taken off the air? How did you? Um, what are your thoughts about the finale? And would you have changed anything at the, about the finale? Well, absolutely. That was the biggest fight <laughs> <laughs> Don and I had because Don wanted to bring Sam home, and I said you can't. A because People need him out there leaping into life after life after life, making right what went wrong. And 
we can't do the movie if Nan Camp comes home. Because like like um the fugitive, once he got the one the uh one armed man, the show was over. over. It had completion. And and we thought about it and he he finally heard what I was saying in the sense that this show can live on in the hearts and the minds of the fans as long as you let them believe that maybe someday Sam can leap into your life. That was my argument. That's really awesome. That's real awesome to put that out there. And you know, We've interviewed some really great metaphysical teachers in our program, and I've always been curious about this, just talking to the teachers, the idea that a soul – that doesn't want to go through the whole process of incarnating in a life because I mean I think coming into a physical body at this, this particular time can be treacherous, can be painful. You have to deal with all these different factors. But I think it'd be kind of cool to be a spirit and come in for a you know an event or an experience. Do you believe that what is being what was depicted in Quantum Leap is actually happening in, in reality? That it's happening that maybe we're not just aware about it, not, not really aware about it, that, that souls are actually coming in and kind of taking over bodies for a little while for short periods of time. You know, it's interesting. A lot of great artists, musicians, um, uh, people, especially in the arts, but even geniuses say that, because people say to me, where do you get your ideas from? And I go, yeah, where do you, you, know? where do you get them from? <laughs> this is a great question. Where, where, where do you get these ideas from? They're, uh, they're a little ahead of their time. I say a lot ahead of their time. I completely believe that I am in a collective consciousness. You said it at the beginning of the show, that we open our hearts and our minds to the universe. And if we are aware and open enough, it sends us what we need, and then you have to be conscious enough to see it and accept it. And that kind of law of attraction uh, to pull to you what you need. And I have just been blessed at a very young age with, you know, kind of psychic abilities. I've predicted a few deaths. I've predicted some earthquakes. A number of people said, okay, if you get another earthquake, you can call me. <laughs> I predicted two earthquakes. And... I believe that the universe, it's all out here. We just, and that's part of, you know, segue into the vision quest. In the vision quest, it's, uh, and I'll give you the kind of the brief overview, and you can see how this weaves in. It's Earth and the not-too-distant future. The great quakes have happened. The Earth has changed as we know it. Uh, time started over. And we as humans uh, put our genetics into a bunch of different animals. And we created these alternate species that we now live with, but their humanity is so new to them, they remember all the powers that we've forgotten. We've been repressed through religion, through politics, through whatever it is that made you fearful of these natural abilities to read auras, to um, read minds, to teleport, to, uh, to uh, predict the future. So... And what other powers could we have if we could manipulate matter and change, you know, antimatter into matter or energy? So that's what the books step into. And what happens as these beings, especially one called Mastapo, turns around and teaches it back to um, to humans? And then the, the twist happens is that we have put all our faith into machines and we put our genetics into machines and they become sentient. 
and in their sentience look at our history of cruelty and um, to each other and to the animals and to the planet and go, age of man, done. So the books are the journey of do we as humans get it together in a collective consciousness and save humanity and the earth before the machines build their army and take us out. That's kind of the global picture of what the vision quest is, and that we have to wake up to our innate powers. And I think that is what's coming. I think that these knowings, I call them, these knowings that we have in our DNA to be able to walk on water, to to change water into wine, I mean, to do all the things that Christ said, do as I do, not as I say, you know? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's, he was telling us that on a bigger picture. <laughs> well, first of all, people who listen to this show will, will know right away that when it comes to the humanity versus the robots, I'm totally on, on the side of the robots. I'm totally – I'm going to be rooting I know. That's why I'm excited to talk to you. I'm, you get it. <laughs> I'm rooting for the robots. Take them out. <laughs> Leave a little bit. If you, like, you know, I think that um, – I think of humanity uh, like parsley – it's it's like good to have them play as decoration, but I don't want them to dominate the whole plate. You know, they're a nice little they're a nice little decoration. There's so much I think we could be doing as a species. So this idea that uh, you t- you talk about humans reaching this full potential when they do this um, fulfilling of their potential, do you see the this great leap forward as a technological innovation, or kind of more along the lines of a return to reawakening? To, to, the, to the ancient wisdoms, uh, a reawakening. To the ancient wisdom. I, I mean, to the future wisdoms, in the sense that we, uh, this planet is absolutely big enough because we live only in the first four dimensions, right? So when we evolve, I think we will move on to a fifth dimension or a sixth or a seventh or whatever it is, and in those dimensions, time and space will be variable, and There'll be room for all of us, and there'll be food and water for all of us. And right now we're in this hoarding, selfish, controlling, you know, I get to have this and you get to have nothing mentality. And that makes us evil and angry and war-bound. And that's what's holding us down to the physicality of the planet. I know. I sound like I'm from another world. I have to say that. I think what you just said sounds completely normal to me. It sounds like total logical sense. Think about why things are the way they are. Do you think it could be the fact that the, we live in such a dense vibration because we're so entwined to the physical matter? Like you have consciousness that is completely immersed in the physical, but yet it doesn't um, – maybe in these higher dimensions, we're not so attached to our human host. We're not so – much immersed with the idea that we are human, that we're spiritual. I don't know. Maybe I was always wondering if the idea that the reason why things are so crazy the way they are right now is because people are too much into their human hosts or they think that they're the animal, the human animal, and don't even realize or have a concept of them being an infinite being or infinite consciousness within that animal. Right. And, and right now, I think you're absolutely right in that definition and that description. And I think where we we get to where we evolve to is when we stop trying to hoard something that we don't need to hold on to. We can flow, like you said, we can flow in and out of these bodies and live this physical experience, 
but we need to remember how to do it with a spiritual mind. And that comes from, you know, the ability to, to share and to give and to educate each other and stop living in fear and anger and greed. I don't know if that will ever change. I I always wonder if there's going to be some kind of event that would stop. Do you see, have you ever thought about or pondered the idea of what it would take for humanity to switch out? Do you think it would have to do, we would have to have some kind of extraterrestrial invasion or some kind of world crisis that would bring humanity to its knees in order for them to, to kind of look in the abyss and crawl out? What do you foresee as being um, a catalyst for a uh, great leap forward of consciousness? Um, you know, in the books, because I had, I took about seven months just to reinvent the future history, and before I even started writing, maybe even longer. And those were all the questions that I asked myself. Someday I may have to publish this 80-page Bible of all the questions <laughs> I answered for myself. Um, and that was part. The Great Quakes happened, and the fact that we had done so many things to the Earth. And the earth said, oh, no, that's not going to happen. And they, it it shifted. Part of it may have been just that's what it was time to do. Certainly we've had major earth shifts in the millenniums that, you know, the billions of years that this planet has existed. Um, but the humans that survived, what's that great line from Starman? Humans are at their best when things are at their worst. Yeah. We'll I think you were right. Huh? We'll have to see how they how they respond. It's the way you describe and that you talk about the book. We've had a person on our program before. We love her. Her name is Nancy Dennison, and she died. She has, I think, one of the most compelling uh, death experiences because she was dead, and she was emerged. She merged with Source. I mean, the Source, and she she was talking about her experience, saying that we're all one collective beings, and when she returned. One of the things she talked about was she said that humanity had three um, die-offs. She called them epochs. Uh, first one happened, and we're in the second one. And after the second one, we're going to have a third one. And, and between the second and third, when this thing happens, we're going to have this period of enlightenment, as you described. There's going to be a lot less people on the planet, but we're going to be thinking exactly the opposite. But these catalysts that they, they've happened, I find it really interesting that some of the things that you're writing about, other people have actually spoken about, not in the exact details, but in, in a parallel thinking. So I find it really fascinating. It's in the universe. I completely believe that it's in the universe. Uh, and I believe that I just picked up on it and was compelled to write it down. I think I picked up on it as a, a maybe 13 years old was the first time I started thinking these kinds of thoughts and then just didn't feel like, uh, oh, I'm not talented enough or I'm not a good enough writer or so I, you know, put off putting it down on paper the whole time, putting pieces of it in my work. So if you look at any of my writing um, <clears throat> that I've done in, in uh, especially in Quantum Leap, but in, in other works, Excuse me, <clears throat> films that I'm working on now and series that I'm working in now, I, I can't get away from it because obviously the universe is saying you need to get this out. You need to help people become aware so when this event happens or these events happen or this shift happens, um, those people who 
understand it, like yourself, are going to see the path to take. They'll know what they'll be knowing. They'll know what to do. I don't know. And they'll survive. The only thing I want to do is make sure that the that my family is okay. And I also want to make sure that people who listen to our to our show I want to make sure they're okay too. So if you're listening to the show, I want you to know that I'm I want to do everything we can to make sure you're, you're alive. And uh, I guess everyone else's bonus is a bonus. Especially if you, can make, if you can make good pizza, I want you to survive. I want you to make if you can make good pizza, please. We've got to teach you to survive. Please stay. <laughs> please stay. I love a good pizza. That's right. I mean, seriously, like, you know, family, friends, kind-hearted people, people who make pizza. I'm curious, so you were growing up, you said you were having these uh, psychic visions, predictions. What has been your idea? Have you always felt when you different did you feel that um you were in a strange place when you got here that uh, you had some yes. kind of purpose yes for years i always had this strange illusion that i was walking around in chicago where i'm from yay chicago um and i didn't belong there and it was almost like there was a cutout where i was moving through space and i wasn't there i wasn't really there and i thought what a weird thing to think but I think it goes back to what you're saying that, you know, and I, I actually have a series like this that I created, that we are living multiple lives at once and that you literally shift from one life to another. And you may do it in your dreams and you may do it. You know, you wonder, why is somebody ridiculously successful? What is happening that they have found uh, all the right things to come together for them to be successful. And I don't know if I have the answer to that, but I think, you know, certainly the laws of attraction, you are in the right place at the right time and the right events are happening and you're able to recognize it and move into it and through it. And I think that's what we don't do. We get so caught up in fear again and I'm not good enough and questioning Instead of just saying, oh, yeah, the universe wants to give me this. Okay, I'm going to flow with it and go and flow with it. So it's really opening your eyes. Pick your head up. Open your eyes. Look at what is around you. And if it's harmful to you, move. Don't do that. Find another thing to do that really fills you with passion. I try and teach this to my kids all the time in that, what gives you the greatest joy to be able to do a job and get paid for something that gives you joy isn't work. It's a gift. And I've been blessed with that in the ability to, to perform and write and, and tell stories and inspire and touch people. So and you, the fact that I get paid for that, that's great. I just want to say, are you, are you, is your birth on your Aquarius? Sagittarius. Sagittarius. Okay. Curious What's yours? Um, I'm Aquarius. That's the. I have a lot of Aquarius friends. Aquarians like me. Cool. Oh, I want to say too. I, I because I'm on this show and I really want to invite people. I want to say this again. Please go to, um, either VQ underscore Vision Quest or DebraMprat.com or the Facebook page, the Vision Quest Facebook page, and and sign up for a, a shot to, to win book one. I, I'm, you can certainly go on Amazon and, and pick them up and 
and I would love to read them, but this is a collective consciousness, and I really want people to contribute. I want the greatest minds on the planet Earth to help figure out how to make Earth the planet that it should be. We got paradise here. We just have to remember how to how to access it. Ms. Pratt, was there yes. anything that had happened in your life that was monumental that opened your perception? Did you ever um, read a particular book or have a particular life experience that profoundly changed your life, profoundly changed your perception? Um, certainly science fiction was a real shift for me. Um, I guess hmm, one of the first incidents that I can remember was being in the first grade and Sister Mary, somebody or another, was talking to us, and she was telling us that little babies that weren't baptized didn't get to see God. And they Isn't went that nice that they put that out? And first grade. Oh. And I, like, shot my hand up and said, what kind of God would do that? If they're in Africa and they don't have access to you, what, what kind of God would say, no, you can't ever see me because you don't know this pathway? Why isn't any pathway to be a good person? And I'm like seven, like preaching. <laughs> and I got sent to the office, and my both my parents had to come down and get me. And my mom said, it's a really good question. And, and that was like my first conversation about the difference between religion and spirituality. And, and then I noticed that um, there were just, different ways that I looked at life and that adults, even as a young child, would just come and sit down and start to speak to me and tell me things that I would think that I would have had no knowledge to answer them on, and I would answer them because whatever voice was in my head would say, whatever it is I was supposed to say. And I didn't necessarily understand this, but I was really kind of surprised about that. That's interesting. So you, I think... You had an intimate connection with the source. It seems like you had an intimate connection with your higher self. Or... Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Uh, source energy and the fact that I... And my, my sisters always said, you really live on a whole other plane than we do. You don't see color. You don't see... Uh, anger, you you look at people for the best that they can be um, instead of being fearful of the worst that they can be, and it's made your ability to kind of walk through life and be successful in life as I expect those things to come to me, and I'm happy, and that's not to say that only good things have happened, but I certainly have been challenged, but somehow or another... I can get through those challenges because I know that I'm here for a reason. I'm passionate about what I'm doing, and all I have to do is keep doing it. And I'm fulfilled in that respect. When you are writing, and it's not just when you're writing, but when you're taking just general actions in your life, are you trying to become consciously aware of how each action is affecting others, or you kind of have a philosophy that you're just going to live the best you can and have pure intentions of heart and just kind of let the actions and manifest themselves and let people be affected the way they are 
knowing that you have pure intentions in your heart? I think it's a combination of both. You know, you try to vibrate on that level and just live and let things flow in and through you and back out to other people. There are other times where you you need to be aware and you need to be uh, conscious of bad people. There are bad people for whatever reason. And so to ignore them and say, well, I'm just going to be okay and cool about that. Uh, so I'll tell you, tell you a story. So here's my story. I was driving home from an event. We we had won an award for Quantum Leap, and it was my first time kind of out by myself. And I was in the car driving and had on jewelry, just way too much jewelry. And I'm driving down the street, and I kind of perceived someone following me. And I stopped the car literally in the middle of Ventura Boulevard, and they stopped their car. And then they realized that there was no light, there was no reason to stop, and they drove off. And I went, hmm. And then my phone rang, and somebody said, hey, come join us at this party. And I said, nah, i got to get home. They said, no, come on, you're out. Come out, come out, come out. And I'm grateful that whatever intervened, intervened. So I'm turning up to Mulholland, and I see a homeless person. And, and the thought that came through my mind was there but for the grace of God go I. So I drive up. I find a parking space. I'm about to, oh, I pop the lock turn off the car, pop the lock to get out of the car, and suddenly the car rips open, and a guy's standing there with a gun in my face. Get out of the car, get out of the car, and I'm being carjacked. And my first instinct, because I've written way too much action, was to turn around in the seat, throw my legs out, and kick him away from the door. And I did that. (laughs) I reached for the door to pull it right. You know, I'm the daughter of a colonel, so, you know, you fight first. and I reached for the door to pull it, and he grabbed me by a gold necklace that I had on and dragged me out of the car and pushed me down on the ground and said, give me your ring. Give me this ring. And and it was hysterical because it was a fake ring. I, I, I had a real one, but I had it copied in Zircon. And a friend of mine said, somebody's going to cut your finger off to get that oh ring. God. And I had on the fake. So when he said, give me the ring, I went, sure. <laughs> And then a a voice came in my head, because I was actually trembling, and I didn't even remember it. A voice came into my head and said, give him the keys, give him the car, give him everything, because everything here is replaceable but you. And I got to my seat, and and it was almost like astral projection, because suddenly I was not in my body. I was in it above me, watching the scene below. And I heard a voice come out saying, take the keys take the car, and I took the ring off, and the voice said to me, throw it. And I tossed it up in the air. And then I see there's another guy, like two cars down. I tossed the ring up in the air. The guy lifts the gun off me and grabs the ring. And the next thing I know, I'm running in one three-inch high heel, up a hill to get to the house where I'm supposed to be. And I get to the house, and, of course, fall completely apart because somehow or another I saved this, but I realized that when you talk about somebody stepping into you, I don't know whose voice it was, I don't know where it came from or what to say that, it wasn't me. But I walked away from that situation because I was able to, you know, first try to fight, then flight, but but I talked to him 
in this very calm, everything's okay. Keys are in the car. Purses in the car. And so what I realized at that point is I have serious angels, if you want to call them angels, but the universe is protecting me for a reason. And so I have to just trust that and move forward and be okay with that. Wow. So I do most of the time. <laughs> that's, that's, that's amazing. That's really that's amazing, and I, I can only imagine how that um, that affected your work and um, your thought process. I mean, I, and it sounds like such a traumatic event, yet uh, gained so much of it. One of the things I've, I'm very curious about is in the Vision Quest books, talked about the battle between good and evil. Now, in the course of this uh, program, we've explored the origin of good, the origin of evil, and I'll tell you where we are, at least what um, a picture that we're, we're getting. That good, if you want to call it that, good, unconditional love, it seems to be a, the, the nature, or, or our true nature, like unconditional love, bliss, that, that's where we're, I guess we're all from, is bliss. And evil, I thought evil apparently came from you know years and multidimensional beings that are dark and cruel, and I'm getting the impression that evil seems to be a, a human quality and a human characteristic. I was wondering how you, you perceive that, and what do you define as the the origin of good and the origin of evil, at least in your book series? Um, well, I personified them in, you know, Master Poe and the this awakening of humanity and their their inner beings. Um, but my lead character, uh, Laser. Uh, starting from the first book, The Atlantean, because they live on the risen continent of Atlantia uh, after the Great Quakes. Three uh, uh, three places rose from the sea, Mu off of Japan, Atlantia, and, um, and South America actually sank, but we domed it, so they're still good. They're just living at the bottom of the sea because they cut down too many trees. I was mad at them, I'm sure, at that point. Um, and I think... What we got into, what what Laser gets into is he has a traumatic event that happens to him very early in the Atlantean in book one. And anger and revenge drive him. And Mastapo says, you cannot let those emotions get in your way because they're going to block the good that the universe is trying to give you. And if you want to gain your powers, you have got to get negative emotions out of your way. At the same time, interestingly enough, the machines are becoming sentient, and Five, who's the lead uh, biodroid, Five is dealing with, because he has human DNA in him, emotions, and he's trying to categorize them logically to figure out, well, what is this sensation that I am feeling? And what? so what is it to, for a machine to become sentient? And his drive is survival because machines, the difference between humans and machines is they don't care whether they survive or not. They don't have that consciousness. But if suddenly there is an awakening and realizing that you will no longer exist unless you take control of your life. So fear, to me, is, is the evil that holds us back when we question or fear um, and, and drive to stop the pain that fear causes 
it goes down to pain or pleasure. And to me, that's good and evil. You're either in horrendous amount of pain, and the worse the pain is, the angrier, the meaner, the uh, crueler that you are. Or you live in in pleasure where you feel good and you're kind to people and people are kind to you and, and the world is good. So you've got to find a way to to balance those within yourself. So we both, we all carry good and evil in us. And I think that's what makes us so fascinating as entities, that we have free will and choice at any time to choose to be good or to be bad. So it's up to us whether we're good or evil. And the fact that there's so much fear in the world pushing us to our evil nature I, I don't understand really, why it's there. I, I don't understand why it's so predominant right now. And it's not just, you know, it's, it's not just what's heartening to me. It's like the fact that it exists. But the fact that there are a lot of people that are fully capable of making subtle changes, even small changes to reverse it, yet they have no interest. I feel that there's this quote that I love. Another quote says, the lust for comfort murders the passions of the soul. I've, I've read this quote so many times, and I feel that that is the mantra or the war cry of most of the world that they lust for the comfort so much they lust for the for the comfort of having a little bit of a technology and having these 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 things in their house that will they can say something you know turn on the tv you know turn it on for them and they just they're, they're lusting for that comfort yet you know all you have to do is maybe grow a little bit or look a little bit and you can change the world for the better i just don't understand it I don't understand why uh, more people aren't more curious about it, especially because we have so much technology before. I mean, there were earlier periods in history where if you wanted to grow and you wanted to evolve, you know, you maybe had to trek to a country and find a person and go to a library. And find us. Now you could just go in front of your computer, type in some stuff, and boom, infinite information. You basically have a um, almost like the Akashic Records right in front of you. So, yeah. What are your thoughts about it? Oh, I think that we're at this pinnacle right now, this tipping point, because the people that, the greedy people, the control people, need us to push over the edge so that they can stay in control. But the truth is, and I, and I say this in the books too, um, if you didn't need money, if tomorrow you just didn't need money because you could manifest antimatter into matter. And you could have everything that you wanted, everything. What would that do? Suddenly there was no money, but yet you wanted a house there. You you imagined it, and there it was. You wanted uh, dinner, uh, there, uh, you imagined it, there it is. So you have everything that you need. There is no reason to be fearful or angry or greedy. And I'm... And I go back to, to Christ energy in the sense that he said, do as I do. So as soon as we wake up to the fact that maybe that's what we can do, maybe we can change energy or use energy for the good. You can't use it for evil. I'll make that rule right there. You can't kill somebody with your superpowers. But what you can do is you can manifest reality you can change matter or create matter 
we would have no reason to fight. We would have no reason to be afraid. There would be no hungry. There we we we, we could make water out of sand. It's just we that we're, we're getting there with three three D printing, and if we spent all that money that we're spending on killing each other with the military, it's like you know we could take that and, and have some major innovations. I still understand. Oh my gosh, that's so true, and the fact that we we have this ability to educate each other and teach each other. I mean, why are we building prisons? I was in Canada um, a couple of weeks ago, and they closed down, I don't know how many prisons, because they just didn't have enough prisoners. So they just closed it's down fantastic. the fantastic. Yeah. And and here, it's a business. Yep. It's the new slavery, as far as I'm concerned. But instead of building school, we're building prisons. That's logical. But it's, again, it goes to the control issue yeah there's something strange in the u.s it's you know it's everyone they have this mantra oh it's quote-unquote it's the land of the free and we're free and we're free and i don't know i i just don't i don't care to echo the the mantra because it's you have the prison industrial complex prison for profits the medical tyranny and the pharmaceutical companies that are just kind of i don't know i feel like they're just creating you know symptoms that you have in order for them to, to sell a you know a pill and then the food uh, industry this is a phenomenal documentary. I, mean, we, I think we've talked about it several times in our show. I can't wait to, to go into it. It's called What the Health. And it really talks about how oh, what the health? <laughs> yeah, what the health. The food industry and the medical industry, they're collaborating. I'm like, I still don't understand why. Like, can they just let people have a little bit of freedom and, uh, without all this stuff? There's so much destructive forces, so I don't know, I don't know what the cause of it is. But we have to do something about it. We can't just be afraid and we can't shut down. And that's where I go to uh, – there's some – it's really interesting. I got a review in the Vision Quest that said, oh, my God, the answers are here. And, again, I don't take complete credit. I'm being given what I'm writing down. And the answers here, if we can attain a collective consciousness – I mean, they've taken us out of rhythm with the earth itself. But if we can connect – What's that? What is the, oh gosh, zeros and ones, zeros and ones, zeros and ones. There's a oh, uh, uh, measure. I think, uh, I think I know what you're talking. I know what you're going to. Um, it's called a black box. That's how I remember it being called. But they noticed that when an event happens, a major event, Princess Diana was killed and uh, 9-11 happened, that consciousness focused on this major event usually dark, but not always. Um, and suddenly the the meters would would click in only one direction. So obviously there's an energy out there that we can focus collectively on and we can shift the energy of what's happening on the earth. And as long as we sit inside, you're afraid that, somebody's going to push the button and blow you up or you're afraid that the ice caps are going to melt. These fear things are holding us back and keeping us so that whichever direction it is that it's clicking, it's clicking into the fear and the pain and the negative. And so that energy allows those people who have a propensity to it to expand like a virus. Oh, I I feel like there's so much fear and I'm, I'm kind of like bored with it. It's it's kind of like it, it's even like it's kind of like eating the same thing for dinner, over and over and over again. I'm like you know, kind of, oh. don't, I, I wish people kind of want a variety. Like hey, you know, instead of having the fear, 
and the death and the war. How about try peace for a day? You know, give, give it a little break in between. Maybe you'll like peace a little bit. I just, I was wondering collectively, is there going to be a point in time when people are like, okay, we've, we've had enough death. This is, we've, we've, we're done with death for our evolution. Let's, let's try something new. I think so too. I think it's going to be, and I think it's going to be just like that, uh, Ryan, in the sense that it's, it's just going to be snap. Oh yeah. I know how to read your aura. Oh, you can't lie to me because I can hear the truth behind your words. Oh, I can levitate. <laughs> you know? Suddenly, suddenly we're going to start to see because we need to, we're going to start to see miraculous things again. I and hope so. And that's what we need. We need positive, this kind of positive collective, oh, yeah, yeah, if you can do that, I can do that, and let's go out and do that together and hydrate the desert. We're going to go out and we're going to have a rain in, and we're all going to focus on the clouds to come and rain down and and come here and gather and rain. I mean, think of positive things that you can do, that we could do if we had powers to heal the planet and heal each other and stop wars. Wow. Let, let, and we can do it. Let's begin uh, Let's begin at this moment. Ms. Deborah M. Platt, Pratt, what a great honor it was to have you on our program. I want to thank you so much for being with us today. We can learn more about Ms. Pratt by going to her website at Deborah, D-E-B-O-R-A-H-M, Pratt.com. The books, the Vision Quest books, highly, highly recommend you check them out. And we can also learn more about the Vision Quest books by going to the website at thevisionquest.com. Ms. Pratt, a great, great honor. Uh, it's real to have you on our show. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, everybody. This was a great interview. I had a blast. Joining us now is the Astrophenom, our astrologer, Ms. Constantellis. You can learn more about Ms. Constantellis and get a reading done with Ms. Constantellis by going to her website at constantellis.com. Just tell us, what can you tell us about Ms. Deborah Pratt's astrological chart? Well, she's a person after my own heart since we have two similarities in our chart, oh, awesome. but, um, which uh, uh, I didn't know until this moment. Um, she is a Sagittarius, uh, and Sagittarians are truth-tellers. Uh, they can't help it. Sometimes it's too blunt. And people say, oh, no, there she goes again or there he goes again. But it's never malicious. Uh, and they seek after fairness and truth in everything that they do. And um, her chart is very well uh, positioned for the work that she did on Quantum Leap because um, her mind is very open and goes uh, in a far, you know, distant directions. She's also a very canny and careful business person. Um, so without the imagination, nothing happens. But without the business or the smarts of the way to put things together, again, nothing happens. But she's got both of them. And her moon sign is at the very end of watery cancer. Um, and that is the ruler of the moon. And so she has, she has great heart and great feelings that uh, she wants to employ 
in whatever she does. Plus, she's also very kind of artistic and balanced about those things. So she has a wonderful creator's chart uh, in a um, seeking way. By seeking, I mean spiritual seeking or truth seeking, however you want to um, to say it. Um, I, I, I'm sure I know her show was very successful and she made a lot of good money from it, but that was not her motivation. It was um, more to um, uh, illustrate faith in uh, the future and what can be or could be uh, in the future. Is there anything in her chart that you're identifying that would indicate that this is her last life incarnation or is this a series that she'll be on Earth for a while? Oh, she'll be around for a while. Um, I think that uh, she, yeah, like most of us, has some lessons to learn. Um, and, I mean, I don't think that she's going to hang around uh, for eons and eons. But w- once you get to the other side, time is a little bit different. Um, so they tell me. haven't been there uh, consciously in a while. Um, but the uh, uh, the lessons of her chart have not been uh, exhausted. But she is a very unique uh, creator, very. Do you notice anything about her chart, anything that could be compared to other people who are very successful and very creative or even a uh, world yeah. leader? Um, I don't know about world leaders because I don't have all of their charts in the top of my brain, but she has six quintiles. A quintile is a um, uh, an aspect, a relationship between uh, planets that is not usual, and to have six of them is doubly unusual. It measures 72 degrees between two planets, uh, between two signs, and it is both the creator and the seeker at the same time. So, so uh, you know, there have been many wonderful artists who were interested in creating, and, you know, spiritually, who, who cares? Well, it wasn't of interest to them, but that is not her situation. Um, she wants to offer what she can do and what she sees creatively to spur people on, to rev up their own development to uh, uh, to help the planet uh, by the by, you know that may not be her beginning point of of doing something, but it that's what occurs. Miss Constantellas, the Astro Phenom, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. To learn more about Miss Constantellas and again get your chart done with Miss Constantellas, please go to her website at constantellas.com. Thank you so much, Miss Stellas. You're welcome. Wow, she she really does have an interesting chart. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our incredible guests, Ms. Deborah M. Pratt. And special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, Ms. Lisa Caza, and Ms. Constance Tellus. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Till the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and fears. Take it care. Thank you so much for listening. 
Regularly featured on the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show are our virtues. Miss Carrie O'Connor, who's a psychic medium. Miss Lisa Kaza, who's a psychic empath. And Miss Constantellas, who's the astrophenom, our astrologer. All three individuals have an incredible expertise. They've been with us since day one, and they've been a huge part of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. So, if you have some questions about where you're going, where you are, where you should be, or questions about your life, Highly recommend consulting with one or all three of these individuals. Ms. Constancellas is an astrologer. She's been around for a very long time. She can do your chart, tell you about what's in your chart, and find out where you're going. Ms. Lisa Kaza is somebody who I drive absolutely crazy. So out of sympathy, you have to go with Ms. Lisa Kaza because I drive her absolutely crazy. She can pick up on subtle energy feelings. She can tell you about where you're going and kind of give you an insight as to what your trajectory of your life is. Ms. Carrie O'Connor it's somebody who you can't get us in the same room together because we'll just cause chaos. But when she gets together with you, peaceful ensue. Miss O'Connor can visually see things. She can tell you about who's around you, talk all about spirits, and tell you about where your life trajectory is. All three individuals are incredible experts. And I personally talk with maybe 75 or 90 different psychic empaths. There's no one that can compare to Carrie O'Connor, Lisa Kaza, and Constance Stellis. There's a reason why they are a crucial part of the Adam Limits of Interest Radio Show. Please check them out. CosaSellis.com, LisaCosa.com, and CarrieO'Connor.com. Thank you. Want to be heard or seen in front of millions of people? Want to be an expert on TV or radio? Goldman McCormick PR is a New York City-based public relations agency that specializes in traditional and social media placement for law, finance, media, and corporate-based clients. Goldman McCormick PR also a specialist in website development, radio show creation, press conferences, media training, and so much more. Check out GoldmanMcCormick.com for more information. GoldmanMcCormick.com. 